Hi, everyone. My name is Gary Balabio, Head of Technology Partnerships at Cloudinary, and this is MX Matters, where we discuss all things media experience and the trends that shape the visual economy. I'm happy to be here uh, with Reuven Wessling, Director of Technology Partnerships, EMEA, at Contentful, to learn a little bit more about Contentful and its business. Reuven, welcome to the pod. Thank you. How Thanks for having you? me. It's great to have you here today. So, Reuven, uh, to kick things off a little bit, can you tell us a little bit more about Contentful? Who is Contentful? What do you guys do? Um, and tell us a little bit more about your founding, maybe, you know, a little bit more of the history and your services. Of course. So Contentful, it's already a little bit in the name. We're all about content. Um, what specifically we do with content is we're a content management system, but not the one that you might already know from your personal website or WordPress or Wix. We're a little bit different. And the origin story behind Contentful is that our founder, um, Sasha Kaninska, he was working as a consultant um, in the first mobile boom a lot. And he saw the trend that there was bespoke CMSs created time and time again, for, specifically for mobile apps to power content for these completely new class of devices where the existing content management systems were not ready because they're all very, very web-centric and just made for the desktop browsing experience. And that just didn't cut it. And here's sort of like, okay, there's two big problems here. First of all, I'm just recreating the same problem or resolving the same problem time and time again. And also like, why should I have to use two different systems for the web and for mobile? That's not a good state to be in. And that's really the origin story. So he set out to solve this problem. Um, there's a, a pre-product before Contentful. It was called Storage Room. That was the origin of Contentful. It's already very similar. If you look at it, there's some old artifacts online, like a show HN post. But it only really came to be when he met Paolo uh, Nikri, our CTO, who then they rewrote Contentful from scratch into a new system that is actually scalable and enterprise ready. This was around 2013, 2014 to serve enterprise customers end to end for their content needs from the web, where already there's an existing investment to all these new platforms that we didn't even know would exist back in 2013. So one great example is if you have an Alexa voice skill, we have customers that do that. You also wanna have content in there. Uh, there's signage, there's mobile, of course, there's wearables, there's TV. There's an infinite amount of places where content lives today. And you really don't wanna use a different CMS for all of them. You wanna have one system and that's what Contentful does at its core. Got it, okay. So it started out, started out focusing on mobile, fo focusing on uh, was it more and more about solving problems for the developers uh, at the time? Uh, was it more trying to solve for the end user experience when they're going to the mobile applications or website applications? Now, what we really solved for is for the editors, the people who create editors. the content. Because if you have a team of editors and they have to switch between different tools, you have to train them in all the tools. It's also expensive. Um, there's I know customer stories where there were literally interns who copy and pasted content between different CMSs. That's expensive yeah. and unnecessary. Nobody wants that. So this Pretty is really the challenge that it solved. Yeah. yeah, got it, got it. So you were solving some of those inefficiencies. Now, I know uh, Contentful um, uses the term headless a lot, and it's a, uh, a headless service, headless system. Can you maybe help the audience? For those who don't know what headless is, can you first define what headless is? And maybe a little bit more about how does it uh, differ from uh, a traditional CMS? How does a service like Intentful differ from a traditional CMS? Mm -hmm. So a traditional CMS, like the ones we just discussed that are like very web-centric, very desktop-centric, they are all a complete package. 
you have the interface for the editors to create content in, and then you also have the presentation layer that presents the content to the actual consumer, to the customer, to the end user. Now with a headless CMS, we cut off the head, this visible presentation. And this is really what allows us this flexibility to target all these different medias and platforms. Because what we do is really just the management part. So we have the editorial interface where a content creator, an editor, a marketing manager will create the content and will set its specifics. And we have the storage to store the content in the cloud. And then we have a number of APIs to access the content again. And this is it. This is where Contentful has a hard cut and we stop because this is the part where our customers or a partner working for the customer takes over. And they have the complete freedom to create whatever customer experience they want to create. And often this is a web, but even on the web, this is powerful because we don't constrain our customers in the technologies or the approaches they want to take with this content. So if you look at a legacy CMS, they're often specifically for Java or for PHP. So then every team in the company has to use Java or has to use PHP. What if you have a merger and you have a company with a different engineering culture coming in with a different skill set? Suddenly you have to either retrain people or you have to run parallel systems again. That's not good. If you have a new platform like the Alexa, when it first came out. How do you get content in there if you don't have a visual representation, if you don't even have HTML support, you have a completely different media. And the only way to guarantee that this is always possible is just to be API first and just make every interaction to the API. And this is the essence of a headless CMS. No concern about the presentation layer and structured content so that it's adaptive to different media. Right. So it's flexibility around uh, the presentation layer, making it easier to adapt to you know, different experiences, I guess. Or different. different experiences, different technologies, <clears throat> different platforms, different skill sets and teams. Um, you might have an out-of-the-box front-end experience. Um, we have a few partners that offer front-end as a service. Um, and you might run this in parallel with a custom front end for a slightly different use case. You might want to reuse some of the content or just make independent content, but you don't want to have to train your team in two different platforms. And you can mix and match this arbitrarily all throughout your organization. Yep. And then uh, in terms of the content itself, um, when you're referring to the content, uh, first of all, can you explain for the audience what you mean when you're saying about the content? And I know Contentful um, has a notion of a content model and they talk about uh, creating your content model first. Can you go into a little bit more detail? Like, What does that mean? So content is everything that makes up the customer experience um, that is created by another person. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Like Contentful is really powerful for text-based content. Uh, we do have some media management capabilities, but it's definitely not our focus. We work with a number of digital asset management systems to partner up with because it's, it's a different expectation, a different workflow expectation, um, working with those creatives versus the more editorial creatives. That's our focus. So we're mostly talking about text-based contents with some augment to the side and focusing on the connection to these other systems. And when we're talking about the content model, this goes back to talking about structured content. The content model is the stencil if the content is your painting. So you need to come up with the structure behind your content. This is the first task you have to do when you start using Contentful. And it's a very cross-functional organization effort to actually think through your content because you're not making ad hoc decisions as an editor anymore. You really need to work with developers, designers, and editorial staff on defining what is the essence of my content? How does it relate to each other? What is 
presentation on what is actual content. How much presentation is controlled by developers and designers versus how many options of, for example, variations are given to the editor to make ad hoc decisions about. And you are very intentional about this. And this being intentional instead of being ad hoc is what allows you to then adapt the content to a new platform again. Mm -hmm. So a new end user experience, basically. Yeah. All right, makes sense. Now, so let, let, let's um, shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about uh, the industry in general. Um, so I guess to, to kick that part off, what are some of the um, some of the existing trends that you're seeing in the market that are uh, most exciting to you or, or to, to Contentful? I guess things that um, are really helping your business, helping drive your business. And what, what are you seeing out in the market today? So I'm heavily biased uh, working in technology partnerships here, but to me, the, the most amazing change right now is that we see the breakup of the traditional marketing suites. It's no longer the case that a customer expects to go to one vendor, um, buy a complete package with a nice bow on top of it that is promised to do all of it uh, completely mm. integrate from view functional. This was never true mm. because these were usually heavily mismatched acquisitions that kind of sort of worked together, but never really did work together. And you were also completely boxed in and having to take the whole package, whether the specific solution was completely what you needed as a customer or not. Uh, mm -hmm. Today, we're seeing much more willingness from customers to pick the individual pieces of their stack, make decisions about the relative quality for their specific use case in asset management, in content management, in experimentation, in personalization, in translations, and so on. So there's much less of an expectation around this. And this gives us the opportunity to really focus on the content management part. This is what we do well. And it gives our partners the, the opportunity to focus on what they do well, whether it's asset management, it's personalization, it's experimentation. And not every partner is the right one for every use case, same as we are not the right CMS for every use case, but the customer actually has the power to make the choice to assemble their own solution and integrate it because all of these vendors that have these modern, more headless, more API-first approaches have these powerful APIs to facilitate these integrations. And you come up with solutions that are so much better fit for the business than what they had before to actually unlock the ability to make changes on an ongoing basis and react to the market much more quickly. It's no longer that like, oh, every seven years, we're relaunching our website, big bang, big redesign, and now we're doing personalization because we couldn't do it before. It's much more incremental reacting to what's happening in the market, whether it's targeting a new demographic, targeting a new media, adding localization after the fact, it's just much more flexible for the customer. And that's really exciting to me, this break up, this unbundling of the traditional marketing suites. It's very powerful um, uh, for sure. And, uh, and, and you're right, the APIs are really igniting uh, this trend right now, the ability for, um, companies to not have to go and buy all services, say, from one you know monolithic platform anymore. They can pick and choose, you know, based on their their ever evolving and changing needs. I mean, I mean, let's face it, things are changing really fast. Companies are growing, you know, quickly now. Acquisitions are happening, and they need to to connect systems. And you really need to solve problems with the service that best fits your needs. Um, yeah, I, I agree. We're we're definitely seeing that too, and it is quite exciting shift. And I think the related trend to make that possible, I mean, the API is on the tech side, but on the people side, it's, I think there's much more inner sourcing happening of companies having digital teams in-house, or at least mm -hmm. having a strong additional team in-house to work with a variety of partners with ongoing engagements. So away from the Big Bang rewrites, 
there's no more ribbon replaced every seven years, but like we're choosing a platform that is so flexible and we have the team that has ongoing expertise in the business and the chosen technologies to evolve it based on the business and the customer needs. So there's people and products, there's, there's everywhere. And we're really good at providing the product part and we're helping with the people part. Um, it's mm-hmm. a lot of what we do with our customers is talking them through the processes, especially across different teams, design, editorial, developers for us usually, um, to actually get to the ability to do those changes. So buying a software for this is good, but you also need to be ready with your team or with your agency to adapt to this. Right, yeah. Um, Definitely uh, having, there's a lot of companies out there I know making this shift, uh, working with an agency uh, makes things a lot easier for them, for sure. Um, Interesting. So shifting a a little bit, um, the past year, um, we've seen and we've worked with a lot of companies that have made some dramatic shifts and accelerated um, their uh, their plans or their models, their online models. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people talk about the digital transformation. You know, and the shifts that happened that occurred in the last year. Um, what are some of the challenges that you saw um, for you know a lot of those companies? What about some of the challenges that you're seeing? Your Customers, or even not just in general, what you're seeing companies face in general uh, that they're trying to solve for today, you know, because of that shift, because of that acceleration in that shift. Yeah, I think the joke goes, what's driving a digital transformation? Your CTO, your CMO, or COVID-19. We threw that out as a joke in one of our events as a poll, and I think it was like 90% COVID-19. Um, oh, yeah. Being forced <laughs> indoors uh, is the biggest accelerator of digital transformations. Uh, I think the industry is leaping five years, 10 years ahead right now. Uh, it's really amazing to see. And it does separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit. Uh, Companies who've already started investing into this uh, and more than just lip service before 2020 hit um, definitely had a massive advantage and they had a running start into the year, uh, could pull up some projects uh, and react to this new reality. While a company who didn't have that investment already made, or at least the plan for the investment spread out, really had to go into a square mode and figure out, okay, what do we need to do right now to still have a business in three months. And there's some businesses that are hard to digitally transform with a lockdown. Um, classic example to me is a cinema. No matter what you do as a cinema chain, uh, your digital transformation is probably not gonna make a massive difference to you in the situation right now. But there's a lot of industries where that's not true. And it requires some creativity. But if you look at whether it's restaurants, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's even car uh, manufacturers and car vendors, it's uh, car stores. It's it's often possible to do much more of what you can do with a customer or should do with a customer digitally and pick the people up where they are. And I'm very sure we're not going to go back to interacting with all these companies in person as much as before, because now we have all these new ways to just do it by my phone, do it by my laptop. And this is great. Now, the biggest challenge in this is it's like it's upending often internal power structures. If in a company you have the the in-person group and the e-commerce group as distinct businesses and they're competing for their relative influence, then you're setting yourself up for a massive fight. Uh, I think the most successful business I've seen that do this is when they integrate this, they don't actually split out anymore. How much revenue are we doing in person versus how much revenue are we doing online? Because it's just, it's getting blurry at the edges. Um, Best example of that to me is the hardware store where I cannot click and collect. I can order it, 
um, online, and then I can drive to the hardware store with my car and pick everything up. Is that an online order and goes credit to the online team, or is it an in-person order and goes credit to the retail team because I picked it up in person? Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. What matters is ultimately you still get the revenue from me, and you made me a happy customer who's going to come back. That's the mm -hmm. only two things that care. And to think about this strictly into silos is not helping you. So breaking up these silos and as an organization, refactoring yourself. Yes, I'm a developer. I like to use that word. Um, that I think is the biggest challenge. To get into this mindset and to blur the lines and not have these internal struggles. Interesting. That's that's really interesting. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of us, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who think about the scale that um, the changes that are happening online, you know, driven because of the pandemic. And lots of scale that is going to be everlasting, you know, beyond this, bringing that in-store experience, now trying to, um, uh, to to bring that more, make it more of an online experience, a mobile experience, for sure. Tremendous amount of scale that is igniting. Um, but also, too, I, you know, I didn't think about the teams and now bringing more of those teams together and focus a little bit more, you know, on that together. Um, quite interesting point uh, you bring up there, Ruben. Yeah. Um, for me, APIs and product is the easy part. Like you can, you can buy. Like if you have the budget, you can you can buy yourself a, a lot of stuff. But if you mm -hmm. don't have the internal organization, both skill wise, but also communication line wise, incentive wise, etc., to actually leverage it, you're not going to have a good time. Right. Yeah. For sure. It's going to break down basically. Yeah. Um, so, Ruben, uh, last question for you here. So in um, we work with a lot of this, both of our companies work with a lot of businesses that are resilient, they're adaptive and creative, um, leveraging, you know, both of our services. Um, what, just in general, you know, what, what companies for you come to mind when you think about, you know, resiliency, adaptability, and creativity, you know, that, that are just doing this well out there? Um, so I'm not so opinion. much thinking of like specifically from our customers or from our joint customers, but just general in the market, I think mm -hmm. a couple examples. So one is hardware stores. I just mentioned it. Uh, it's actually a large German chain that I know the specific case about um, where they actually decided to blur the lines and they don't break out even in their reporting anymore. Um, the retail revenue versus the online revenue. And this is a uh, resilience change to me. Um, another one that comes to mind is ASOS. Um, Asus actually mm. revamped their product line because it's, it's fashion and nobody buys fashion anymore because we're not going out. So nobody's going to see me. So they <laughs> revamped their product line to be more for comfy at home. And they were really quick mm -hmm. to do this. And again, this shows like a skill in being adaptive and reacting to the market quickly and not just in the digital presence and having the online ordering more refined, et cetera, but just the whole product management of actually having a different lineup of what's important for customers right now, adapting it marketing it and delivering it to the customers on a dime. Uh, that to me is really, really impressive. And the last one, and this is almost a stereotype, I think, in, uh, in this year, but uh, I'm really impressed with Disney. Um, Disney mm -hmm. had the foresight to launch Disney Plus at just the right moment where their cinema and parks revenue took an absolute nosedive. Um, and they have an anchor. And they made some really smart acquisitions around this. They made a really smart play. They, they didn't know the pandemic was going to hit, but they saw the trend. And now this trend is accelerating and they were in a position to execute on it in the nick of time. Um, there's a lot of luck to this, but luck is preparation meets opportunity. They did the preparation and the opportunity came and they got rewarded for this. Um, that's a job well done. Yeah, Disney's a wonderful service uh, for sure. Lots of uh, content 
there are lots of great content there. And the ASOS example is, uh, is, is quite interesting as well. Uh, thinking about uh, fashion, Zoom fashion, right? Waste up fashion, I guess you could say. It's kind of funny. Um, wonderful. Well, this was a, a really fun conversation. Uh, Ruben, I really appreciate you uh, joining, uh, joining the podcast here with us on uh, MX Matters. Um, for those of you uh, listening, please, uh, if you like today's episode, smash that like button and subscribe. Uh, make sure to, to get all the latest episodes of MX Matters and keep up to date with all things uh, media experience. Uh, Ruben, thanks again for, for joining us. And, Thank you uh, so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Right.